The time's 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill and streaming online at WERU.org. It's our pledge drive, as you've probably heard, and you can call 469-6600 and make a pledge and get your name in the watering can for a book we'll be having a drawing for at the end of the week during the last public affairs block. The guys will tell you a little bit about that during Boat Talk. But also, and really, really importantly, we have a $1,000 matching pledge for anyone who calls in during our public affairs programs or who uh, calls in in support of our public affairs programs like this next one coming up, Boat Talk, with Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce, which is coming up next. So call 469-6600 or 1-800-643-6273. Make a pledge and help support your community radio station and great programming like Boat Talk. Good morning, good morning. It's the uh, second Tuesday of the month, 10 a.m. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in, oh, not 99.9 anymore, 89.9 in Blue Hill, and on the internet at WERU.org. Boat Talk is uh, brought to you by your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. Uh, today, we are also joined by our frequent guest, John Hansen, the uh, John Johansson. <laughs> no, different person. John Johansson, the uh, editor and uh, janitor of the Maine Coastal News. And a special guest today, uh, we have uh, Emily Weeby. Is Weeby the Weeby? Webby. Webby. Yep. Ooh. Um, had to work on your microphone. You sound a little distant, but uh, Emily, anyway, has a very. Uh, I was just got to be uh, piqued by the uh, website that you have, Sailing the Bakery. Now that's really, you know, that's got to be something that just piques interest. And you do have an interesting website, so we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But first, we're going to get to a little bit of a uh, local news. Emily bought brought. Bake, bakery treats oh, were there yes. this morning too. I yes, did. there are some really moist molasses cookies. Ginger, aren't they? Ginger molasses, and I brought some uh, cookie muffin tops. So they're like a mix between a muffin and a cookie. Yep, yep. We're already smiling at Emily, is yep. what I'm telling you this morning. Uh huh. So anyway, um, I'll start off with the, the local sort of stuff. I was reading uh, the great. Newspaper Maine Coastal News out just a few days ago, this May issue. There's a front cover of a, a handsome boat built by SW Boatworks down down east of a nice uh, nice looking fishing boat. And in the description, John, you're going to have to explain this one. It says uh, part of the gear it has is um, a radar with a green stick. It's for fishing, sport fishing. What's it's a, the big what's, pole? What's, that it's goes a, up, that holds up their fishing lines. It's a pole that holds up. The, we, we could call Linda Greenlaw and get a better definition. Uh, <laughs> so it's an outrigger that's on the boat? It's on the middle of it. it goes, right in the middle over, the, over your cabin top. 
It goes straight up over yeah. the cabin top, and yeah. you work gear off of that. Mm-hmm. Huh, it's kind of like a center. And post. you want the fishing line way out away from the back of the boat, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. you need to get your microphone up a little bit more there. Okay. Yeah, we've had a lot of boats go in the water recently, that's for sure. Yeah. And that was a Young Brothers 45, which was really done nicely. Yeah, it looks very nice in the picture. Um, we were also, uh, last month, Mike, talking about uh, houseboats. Remember that little yeah. discussion about houseboats and how they become more popular? Um, in G Captain, I came across an interesting article about a there's a group, uh, a movement, I guess you'd call it, of people who have houseboats that are living outside of the uh, 12-mile limits of most countries. So they're kind of a countryless people in these floating houses out there called seasteaders. Seasteaders. And there was one that uh, was off of Thailand, and the Thai Navy came and got it because it was within their 200-mile economic zone. So... Uh, but weren't they up for other problems? Weren't they actually uh, wanted by? Uh, yes, the person has something to do with that uh, that that money exchange. You can get online. I forget what they call it. Uh, little bitcoins. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was of a uh, dubious uh, background. <laughs> Alternative-minded citizens. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. Uh, and again, living twelve miles offshore is not an easy gig. No, no, and. This is kind of cool. Though. Makes more problems than it solves, yeah. really. They, they said they call themselves sea evangelists or aquapreneurs. Branding is important. <laughs> we all agree on that. Yep. So, yeah, you can go online and get more information about seasteading. Yeah, and again, uh, we spoke of the idea the uh, Maine Harbor Masters Association got together at the Samoset uh, last winter and talked about the idea of... Uh, Floating tiny homes in main harbors, and, man, they didn't think much of that idea at all. But has that been challenged? I'm not sure. And uh, I just, bet it could be. Yeah, been reading up on uh, the regulations and oversight of uh, tiny homes in general across the country is very uneven, it turns out. Mm-hmm. Some places are much more uh, progressive than others, and uh, some people look on them uh, very unfavorably. But why did they look at them unfavorably? Oh, I would think uh, congestion, uh, you know, uh, definite pollution uh, threat. Yeah, but if you're pumping it out like you normally pump out any boat, because how many of these boats move from the dock anyways? It's a fair point. They should be pollution neutral, but as a boat person, I would just look at them and say, well, of course you're, you know, uh, you're dirty just sitting there. Um, And so... Because a lot of boats don't move anymore off off the docks. No, very true. And they did uh, try to distinguish between house boats, which would be theoretically portable, and uh, waterfront, uh, uh, you know, water. Didn't they want a movable so that they could move under their own power? What if a storm comes? Well, that's true. Yeah. You know, more things to worry about. The first boat that we lived on actually was a houseboat in St. Paul. And it was, I always described it as more house, less boat, because it had a 40-horse engine on the back because the regulation was it had to move if there were a fire. So it didn't want, you know, they didn't want uh, the, the our boat to spread fire to other boats. But really, it wasn't really going anywhere. anywhere. Would have been like cooking 40 horses on, yeah. on harness to the front yeah. of your house. Yeah. and yeah. They, You might get her going, but... Yeah. 
you know, it's 44 not, by 16 or something. Wouldn't be a, a fast box. evacuation. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Minneapolis, St. Paul. What water are we on, Emily? Uh, we lived in St. Paul on the Mississippi River, right uh, across the river from downtown St. Paul, actually. Oh. So it was a very urban area, wow. which was really cool. So you don't have to deal with tides. No tides, but current. Current, so, current. Yeah. Right. And, oh, yeah. and actually, that boat. Um, it ended in a demise. It sunk because of the ice sheets coming down the river and, and piling shaving up, it. Yeah, piling up on top of it. We, it. It didn't sink under our ownership. It was two owners later. But, but yeah, it's a it's kind of a treacherous place because it's freezing. It froze in actually in the winter. Hmm. Um, What's the hull? Steel. It was a steel barge hull. Yep, that it was built on top. So two stories. Yeah, it's huh. super cool. Yeah, were there more? Um, there are some more down there. Yep, um, the our, our Arctic explorer Will Steger actually has a boat there, and he um, he's built a really cool boat there. And um, yeah, there are like twenty two people who live there all winter long, and then in the summer, of course, it's just like here where people, you know, have seasonal boats. Right. You got to remember the Mississippi River is an industrial river. It's it a, is. Uh, yep. Uh, they maintain Corps of Engineers maintains a nine foot navigation channel, yep. basically the whole length of it, locks and dams. Yep. And my grandfather yeah. actually was a part of the Corps of Eng- Engineers that um, built those locks and dams. So it's kind my of a cool uh, place to live. Uncle by marriage lo- runs lock and dam number twelve. I got a great wow. tour. Wow. Yep. Bellevue, Ohio, yeah, uh, uh, Iowa. Yeah. That's a damn good connection right there. <laughs> He's the punny one. That's the uh, way we operate here. So anyway, we're doing boat talk this morning. And uh, we have tried to maintain the uh, narrative about the uh, climate change, the uh, uh, global warming over the last uh, couple of years here. Wonderful book. Um, quite well reviewed, too. It's called Losing Earth, A Recent History, Nathaniel Rich. And basically, this is the history of the climate change uh, science versus, uh, you know, what's happened so far and uh, makes uh, the point, among other things. Here's a little trick question for you. A MIT professor asks his class, uh, what's the greatest advance in climate science since the mid-70s? There aren't any. The science is fairly <laughs> mature. They've been refining the models. Basically, they've, they've known since the early 50s. Uh, 1953, there was an article in Popular Mechanics uh, saying fossil fuels had already warmed the planet maybe a degree or so. 56 Life magazine, when I was born, was uh, writing essays about long-term change in world climate. And in 1988, when this year radio station had its first birthday, uh, Jim Hansen, Dr. Jim Hansen from NASA, was told not to say to Congress that by the 2010s, significant warming and effects would be uh, taking place. And hello, here we are now, you know. Um, there's 18 inches. I'm sorry. No, it was only 14 inches of rain in, in Mississippi. Last, the They're having problems, speaking of the Corps of Engineers, having problems with high water right now, right there. You'd think that wouldn't be a problem, but it, uh, the problem is clearing the bridges. Is yeah. It? So we have nowadays, um, uh, uh, this uh, last week was uh, pretty good in um, uh, climate change mockery is uh, what the Discussion has devolved to basically uh, nowadays. And did anybody see the cold open of Saturday Night Live on uh, this last Saturday night? The opening was a mock skit from from, uh, Meet the Press with Chuck Todd, uh, Susan Collins, Lindsey Graham, and uh, oh, who was the other one? Uh, uh, Think of a minute. But anyway, the the question was, what would it take for you to... uh, Lose your Donald Trump to lose your support, okay? Suppose he left Melania 
and married Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Preds, the new de fealty and the new deal for forever after for a wedding present for her. And all, oh, no, we couldn't stand that, says Mitch McConnell. So Chuck Todd says, well, that would, so you wouldn't support Trump anymore? Well, no, I wouldn't say that, he says. You know. <laughs> and uh, again, the mockery is there. Uh, Mayor de Blasio from New York had an event yesterday at Trump Tower. It rained. He had to go inside. He wanted to draw attention to climate change. It was a green uh, kind of rally. It turned into a spectacle of uh, people yelling, you suck at him, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, blaming him for showing up in a limousine. And uh, over the weekend, too, we had, uh, oh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, turned up on uh, the John Oliver uh, this tonight on this week, uh, this week on tonight. And uh, Bill Nye did a little skit where he uh, did a science experiment with safety glasses on, set the globe on fire, and used the F word a few times. And we're told by Fox News that if this is really a tragedy, the, uh, a crisis, that uh, he wouldn't be using this kind of humor. And it's fun to pretend, but in the case of climate change, hysterics, hysterics pretending actually costs endless amounts of government spending and troublesome activists. It also creates excuses for celebrities to become false prophets for a very annoying religion from the Red State blog, you know and uh, adds nothing to the discussion and doesn't speak of the fact that um, it's chilly in down east Maine today and it would be nice if it was two degrees warmer. But to add two degrees of, of uh, sunlight energy to this planet is, is an amazing amount of energy. And when you heat the planet, you increase the amount of moisture that can stay in the air. And therefore, every once in a while, 14 inches of rain will fall out of the sky at once like it did in Mississippi. You know, it's freaking expensive, <laughs> let alone. I was in uh, uh, the last intense rainstorm we had like that was 2008 here, I think, um, in August. Yeah. And, uh, but I've been on deliveries, and I've been exposed to a couple of those down the coast here. They're physically threatening when it rains that hard. Yeah, yeah really it, it's it's just like fog. You can only see just a very limited yeah. distance. So who are you going to believe? People and, are mocking uh, with no facts. or And again, uh, it turns out that the president may not be the biggest financial genius in history, but to defend him, they don't talk about the details of his monetary uh, life. No, they mock you. How dare you? You know, you hate this man so much you'll stoop to, I mean, you know. And that's the way it's done. I'm not uh, trying to counter the argument. I'm trying to point it out. It's a propaganda technique. It's swift boating, and it's it's very effective. And uh, you know, we wander into the future at our own at our own peril, with uh, no plan for uh, you know things going downhill. Best of luck. There's some people trying to make a plan. It's just uh, hard getting it across, but. Um, we need to mention, Mike, also that this is our fundraising week, and we have a matching pledge during this show. All the public affairs shows have a, a, a matching pledge for people who call in to 1-800-643-6273 to uh, either become a new member or hopefully uh, upgrade your membership. And uh, the perfect pivot to, uh, you know, gloom and doom for the future. We, uh, we got a radio station, you know. And, a community uh, radio a station. A community radio station where wingnuts like us can come in and talk about boats or, 
you know, even uh, uh, physics and pseudo politics, you know, pseudo pseudo science. Well, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, I have a degree in science with honors, man. I, I won't do any pseudo there. So again, it seems uh, obvious. And uh, again, 14 inches of rain in Mississippi the other day was uh, not a good thing for the people there. There's a fellow reading the news says, "Sir, I've lost everything." You know. Yeah, this is planting season. Yeah, they get yeah. wiped. <clears throat> um, so also for people who call in and pledge during the public affairs drawings, uh, there is a uh, a book that's going to be a, a reward for one person drawn from all those people who call. The book is entitled Madison's Music on Reading the First Amendment by Burt Newborn. Uh, the First Amendment of the our Constitution. So it, it's uh, as I want to say, it's relative to it's relative to uh, boat talk because this is definitely a book about the ship of state. Ah, yeah, punned it again. <laughs> the uh, yeah, uh, Madison's music on reading the First Amendment by Bert Newborn. Everybody who sounds pledges. interesting. Yep. Yeah. Let alone, as we said, a uh, matching grant for pledges to public affairs programs and boat talk as well. Yep. 1-800-643-6273 is the number to make a pledge. Um, if you'd like to call in to and join the conversation here in Boat Talk, that number is one 625 9378 We uh, talked about tariffs last month and the lobster business not doing the uh, main lobster business any good and uh, mystery uh, continues about um, how that'll turn out there was a article in the Bangor News today the biggest uh, leading uh, sales uh, new thing in Maine lobster industry is online sales and I have a hard time imagine I can push enter and have a lobster land on my table but apparently you can Comes from Fresh X. Um, my my old buddy from Bass Harbor Marine days, many many years ago, was on the line. His name is Michael Carr. And for anybody who reads, um, G Captain, G Captain, yes, he probably he had another good story this morning. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he uh, he sends them in, and they print them whenever they <laughs> whenever they do. So he doesn't really know just what's coming up. But you're right. It was an interesting one this morning. It was about a, a shipwreck in Alaska, wasn't it? A Coast Guard, so. yeah. Coast Guard boat. Um, but anyway, so let's let's jump over to Michael and welcome him. Good morning, Michael. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, hello. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for uh, letting me talk with you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. We're glad to have you, and I bet you we're going to be glad or sorry that it's only a one-hour show with all the stories that you <laughs> must have to tell. You're not here this morning, Michael. Where are you, and how's the weather? Well, I'm in Florida, in South Florida, and um, the weather's beautiful. Seems to always be beautiful here. Boring. I, I guess, yeah, <laughs> except when hurricanes come through, but um, it's, a, it's a nice day. I have no complaints. All right, man. So, Michael, we also have uh, Emily Webby here, who uh, runs the uh, the boat, the website Sailing the Bakery. Um, I don't know if you've checked it out or not, but uh, she's she's a uh, she loves to cook and loves to sail, which 
you know, for people who like boat talk, that probably sounds pretty good. Um, yes. Um, so she may jump in with all kinds of uh, questions, too, or we may just go to her first and ask her some more stories. She's already told us about living on houseboats. I don't Probably that's never been one of your experiences, has it? Houseboats, I mean. Well, no, I did. Years ago, I lived uh, at a marina up in Washington, D.C., um, and there were a lot of people that lived on boats there because it was just a nice location, and there were quite a few houseboats there. Um, mixed in with sailboats and powerboats, and it was an eclectic community of people, and it, it was it was really enjoyable. So, um, so I've never lived on one. I think people that like being near the water, any kind of boat will <laughs> suffice. Sometimes. Yeah. So you're you're dealing with what I call sedentary sailors. Um, uh, was there a, was there a waste or a, a pollution problem? No. No, I lived at the, um, it was right in downtown D.C. At the, um, and they had hookups for sewage and water and power. It was very well run. So everything just got pumped ashore, and it was, it, was, uh, it was a good operation. Well, let's get to G-Captain, uh, Michael. Uh, tell us basically what the G-Captain website is all about. Yeah, so, you know, I'm just a sort of a, a voyeur, a, a, a guy that in, in, forced myself on to John Conrad, so to speak. Um, I had met him through the El Faro hearings. That, uh, I attended the El Faro hearings after that unfortunate tragedy, and I, I took a lot of copious notes, and I wrote up summaries, and I would send them out every evening. And so I started corresponding with John, and then as we talked more and more about maritime affairs and accidents you know at some point he said you should try writing and send them to us and you know maybe we'll print them and uh so i procrastinated for a while and then i I just started writing some short stories and i I wasn't really um sure of how i was going to do it first person or third person or whatever so i just would write things every week and send them to him and and slowly you know, we got down a little um, setup on, you know, what might work, and he started printing them, um, and that was last fall. And then the more I thought about topics and, you know, the more things started bubbling to the surface. And now I, I submit a couple of stories a week, and they just go in the hopper, and on Monday morning he puts one of them up. It's always a surprise to me, too, because I don't know what he's going to print. Um, and I try and proofread them but there are typos in them which i apologize for it's sort of a you know i'm the writer and the proofreader and the um but you know i i think i hope they seem to be getting better over time less errors and grammar and spelling and um so i really enjoy it and i enjoy it because i think some of the some of the messages other people relate to and um and they they make me remember a lot of great times i had you know in various um, occupations going to see. So, yeah, just, and I like John Conrad a lot. I, and Mike Schuler, Captain Mike Schuler, who sort of runs it. They're very um, thoughtful and knowledgeable and experienced people, and it's a, a real pleasure. And they put a lot of good information up, I think. I think it's a great place to go to get, you know, um, 
get the facts and get things that are relevant to what's going on in the maritime world. And again, G Captain, uh, really about the professional maritime community, the the real shipping. merchant marine, yeah, uh, shipping Big news ships. and forums for people that are in uh, yeah. the shipping world, yeah. What kind of stuff do you generally write about, Mike, and we ever run out of ideas yet? <laughs> <laughs> so I have this this big pad of paper, and I every time think of like... Uh, oh, I should I do that, that too. What a good idea. Yeah, I just I scribble it down, and I have little notepads all over the house, and every time I think of something, I scribble it down. And then, um, you know, I, I was fortunate. I You know, I started out in the Coast Guard, and then I got out of the Coast Guard and sailed in the Merchant Marine for a while. And then, you know, I, I, um, I went into the Army Reserves because the Army has a, a watercraft program. And I, I met some people that served in the Army watercraft field, and I really liked them. And they, they had a lot of great boats and missions. So, and then I spent the last 15 years or so of, of uh, my active maritime career sailing in the Army. And which was great. I got to do missions all over the world. And anyway, I, you know, all those different experiences, I gathered all these um, stories, so to speak. And I just, I hadn't really kept track as much as I would like to have. You know, I never thought I'd write them down. So I, I had pulling them from my memory. And then some of the stories I have to go back and really dig to get, I remember images of what happened, but it's like, oh, I better get the facts right before I write this up. So I, I corresponded with the Coast Guard historian and contacted people that I'd sail with and said, this is how I remember it. You know, what do you remember? And so it's good. I, I'm enjoying it. It's uh, um, some of the experiences I think people would, I hope people might benefit from. And, um, I, I, you know, I, it's lucky I've seen the recreational world, the military world, the merchandising world, but there seem to be... Um, a trend of the type of people that go to sea, regardless of whether it's yachting or, or the military or anything in between, there's a, there's a certain personality type and there's a certain approach to the world that mariners have that I really enjoy, and I'm glad that I, I ended up doing that for a living. So. Yeah, it, it's quite a living. You certainly had a... Several narrow escapes too, I, from the way you write. Um, yeah, some of it I look back on, and I in my in my worst estate um, lifestyle now, and I go, "Holy moly! I'm not sure I would do that again now." But you know, the bravado—not the bravado, but the, the drive of youth and, and wanting when you're younger, wanting to do things right and make it happen—you tend to like be a little more aggressive and assertive and you know i now find myself you mean like entering the boc yeah right like if that came around again i'd probably most no i know i would say oh i'll pass on that do you follow the uh a mocha group well a little bit but not very actively you know when the british when the boc around the world race was was um run out of the U.S., you know, when it started from Newport and finished in Newport, it it was really, a, I felt, a more egalitarian type of race. And you had people like Francis Stokes and, uh, you know, who would just get a boat and 
make it happen. And what was it, Mark it, Lindsay? Remember the one he had? Yes, yes. It was just and a then, uh, one off the shelf. Yeah, and how Ross, you know, yep. Guys, uh, they would just get a boat, and so it was. I found it much more relatable. And when I tried to do it, it was it was like, oh, I'm just an average sailor. Maybe I can do this, but not to diminish the, the how awesome it is, but it's less accessible, I think, to that. Well, I think there's a race. The it, amount of money and the amount of infrastructure in terms of an organization it takes, it's just, you know, it's out of most people's league. So, yeah, I mean, it's great. I think anytime someone ventures out into the ocean, it's uh, it's awesome. But it's, I don't follow it as much. I just don't relate to it as well, much. Well, isn't there a race that's running right now, or it's all over, but that really just encapsulated that? They could take boats off the shelf and go around. And yeah, I can't remember who who won it. Yeah, I you know I I plead that I just don't follow it. I yeah. you know relating to to Maine, you know back when art Payne, art Payne designed Air Force. Yep, Dick Cross. And it was built right there in Southwest Harbor in that building that it was a car dealership. A, yeah, <laughs> and it was like I know people that helped work on that boat that would go in there and just in their free time and, you know, what do you need done? And built that unbelievably beautiful, capable boat. And so it was it was something that the average person could touch and feel and, like, belong to. So um, I think those, those were cool times. Mm -hmm. Michael, when you talked about the uh, BOC around the world sailboat race there, I was trying to remember the local connection, which was Air Force and Dick Cross. Uh, epilogue on that how did how Hal ross how roth was another one he's local yeah how, yeah how did it end for uh dick cross and air force he was a he bit of something. a he yeah 130 miles northwest of uh uh bermuda and the navy went out to save him yeah 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 lost the boat the boat yeah. sank it, it yeah. got shot it right it got shot yeah i remember that it ended badly dick was a bit of a character it could be difficult a little bit as i remember and you know Retired on the other hand, Arizona. the things that you spoke about, Michael, <laughs> He's a cowboy now. that you need to sail around, to race around the world, you left out a bloody single-mindedness, basically, when you get right down to it, you know? Yeah. And it, you got to be a bit of a nut. A, I'm sorry. Large nut. Did yeah. you ever read about Mike Plant? Oh, yeah. I mean, did, I, did you read the, the book? Enter, did you read the book his, his sister wrote? Because she brought skeletons out of the closet that I wouldn't have wanted to bring out. But. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, his personality was different than mine. I, I never got to know him very well. I was at the Annapolis boat show with our boat at the same time that he had Coyote there. Yeah. He wasn't, I mean, I don't mean to speak out of turn. He, he wasn't really approachable. And um, it, it was just, you know, like everything in life. He had a different personality. And He was um, actually all right in Newport. I met him several times in Newport. And I think when you met him, he was having a difficult time because he had grounded that boat going into the harbor, and they never hauled it. Right. To... Yeah. And and I understand the pressures as well, the pressures of time and money, and there's so much that you have to get done to get to the starting line. And, right. you know, you have to just focus on yourself. You can't be Mr. You know, I'm not here to win an election trying to shake hands and, you know, make friends with everyone. I got to just focus on my boat and my 
my program. So I get that. It, it, it really it's tough. And Mike Plant deserves all the credit in the world for having done it several times and having put Duracell, you know, around the world. And and what his efforts motivated me to want to do it as well. I thought, you know, damn, this is something I think I can do. So, How about so, Jean-Pierre Moulinet? Remember him? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I was in Newport. They're, they're all, like, phenomenal, motivating, and really skilled sailors. And, do you remember uh, his past uh, career, what it was, before he came no. out of the NSL? It was a knife thrower until he hit somebody. <laughs> oh, right. Time to go to sea. Yes. Yeah, I gotta get out of here. No, he came over to sell uh, resin because mm-hmm. his brother Patrick owned uh, RP. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to break right. in and take uh, take a couple of minutes here to to thank uh, some pledges who have called in and are, are supporting Boat Talk. And getting their contributions matched. Getting their contributions Double. matched. You're right. Yes. Doubling their pledges by calling 1-800-643-6273. Um, first, we get, uh, I believe, John is a, a regular caller to a Boat Talk, John in Rhinebeck, New York. And he reminds us that this Friday is the 50th anniversary of the launch of the Clearwater Pete Seeger. Pretty famous Hudson boat. Yeah, Sloop. Pete Seeger, right? Yeah. And I bet you John has some uh, connections with Harvey. Party, the at, is party at Gamages this weekend, then? Harvey Gamages this no, weekend, no, no, too? Because that's where it was built, wasn't it? Oh, Gamages. I, I don't know where it was built. I it's Gamages. Huh? South Bristol. Okay. Yeah, and the Hudson River is, is so much immeasurably cleaner than it was back in the day. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Got up to Albany the year before last, I think it was. Uh, that's quite a nice trip up there. And it wasn't it wasn't so bad. No, and you can think how Henry Hudson would be going up the river, going, "This is a pretty big ditch. It could be going to China." You, you mean you know, yeah. And uh, also like to thank uh, Jimmy and Stu Ben, another longtime WERU supporter. Jimmy is the one who makes the uh, the bags from the recycled feed ba- bags out by the front door there that we. Uh, Jimmy's are, a good volunteer on a few levels. She is a good volunteer. Yep. Yes. I Thank you say. very much, Jimmy. Uh, she called 1-800-643-6273. And we have a, uh, a contribution from David down in Harborside. I believe we've spoken with David several times before, too. Uh, he says he likes WERU because it's not afraid to swim against the tide. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we are wandering through Boat Talk this morning. We've got em- Emily Weeby, Emily the Baker, in here with us Webby. this morning. Webby. We'll be getting to that in the... And a little bit, John Johansson uh, and Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce uh, sitting around. 1-866-625-9378 is the uh, phone number, I believe, here if you want to call in. Yeah. um, Michael, uh, you probably haven't done a lot of cooking in your boating (laughs) career, but I'd really like to to get over it. No, I haven't. I'm laughing because... Yeah, the Captain, no, all, yeah, you, anything below coffee is probably out of your grade. Um, yeah. But Emily, sailing the bakery, has brought some, uh, not only she brought some cookies for us to eat, thank you very much, Emily. Wow. But yeah, sorry, you're not here for that, Michael. But she has yeah. some, I can see some uh, recipes right in front of her, too, and we're going to talk a little bit about cooking on boats. So, Emily, why don't you just... Uh, yeah. Jump in, you. you what, when did you first start 
boating and start cooking and boating? So, yeah, so I grew up in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Minnesota is kind of like Boston, where we all go up north for the summer, where all the Bostonites come to Maine for the summer. So I grew up um, just boating around on my family's, at my family's cabin. Um, there's a little lake up north in Minnesota called Girl Lake. And I didn't sail much, but I learned to be on the boat and be um, kind of just learn seamanship and, and boat rules from my grandfather, just tooling around, sitting around on boats all day. Um, so, and also in my childhood, I baked a lot. I've come up from a long line of bakers. Um, my family's Lebanese, so if you're not feeding someone, you're not doing something right. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of baked goods and a lot of cooking and, and um, homemade things. you in got to like a family that has a lot of dough. <laughs> there's another one. There's another one. So... Uh, so yeah, so I, I'm comfortable in the kitchen and I'm comfortable on boats. And um, when Kai and I met, we did a lot of sailing together in our 20s and we decided to buy a boat um, and put it on Lake Superior. So not an ocean per se, but an inland sea. Get pretty wild. Yeah, it's yeah, it can go from zero to you know 40 in 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we sailed around up there and decided that we wanted to take it to the big league and go um, on the ocean with the bigger boat. So we bought um, our boat Twig. It's a Saga 43 sailboat, um, and we started sailing a couple of years ago. And where'd you buy the boat? We bought it in Annapolis. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're starting there. Okay. Yeah, we didn't. We we had considered taking it out um, from the Great Lakes if we found one there, but. No, so we bought it in Annapolis um, and have gone as far south as the southern Bahamas with it and as far north as Nova Scotia. And, uh, yeah, so so part of part of it is was being kind of self-sufficient. I, I knew I would need to cook and bake and prepare most of our foods. Um, we have a seven-year-old daughter, so it's we can... We have to actually have responsibility and make food that is edible and nutritious, you know, not not like most uh, adults that can just swing it on, on uh, you know, crackers. Diddy. Diddy more. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, so I really enjoy cooking real food and baking goods for people and for our family. So I thought the, the blog really stemmed from me needing to remember recipes. And so I thought, well, if I am doing this on a boat and there are all these other people, you know, on the boat needing to cook, I might as well just publish what my favorite recipes are and what our journey is like. And so it turned into a blog. Emily, 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 I'm I'm always the cook, okay? And it's it's one of my good skills. It's a great joke, too, and I uh, cook, you know. Good is uh, his opinion. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and the reason to be, one of the great reasons to be the cook is then I can I can stand the food, you know, basically. Yeah. The food's good to me, so yep. that's another good reason right there. Yeah. But um, you were living, you're living on this boat for a few years with your husband and daughter, your family, your daughter. Yep. Yep, so we started in, uh, we bought the boat end of 2016, and we uh, started from Annapolis in January. We launched the boat January 7th, uh, 2017, and uh, we actually froze in in the harbor um, the next morning when we were <laughs> when we were about to leave. And so that kind of really started it, because I needed to find a way to heat the boat. And so I just started making bread and soup and cookies and everything, because it was 20 degrees and snowing the day we but, set off. But, but... Emily, it's a good memory, isn't it? 
Yeah. yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. And again, you have a romance uh, yeah. idea about being a boater and boats yeah. and, uh, you know. Perhaps too much. Uh, well, but <laughs> no. I'm just saying above average uh, yeah. is what I'm saying you are. And uh, now let's get, uh, besides your, your little nutty too, uh, you're not dealing with any kind of a full-size kitchen. No, no, actually. Space very limited on a boat, so yep. there's a trick to cooking on boats. There is, yep. And so a lot of what I try to do is kind of make the process more efficient and make it make have a little trick. So, like, the cookies I brought today, for example, are um, the, the um, I call them cookie muffin tops. Um, and I kind of have always been making them because I don't like a really sugar, crispy cookie. I like more of, like, a cake-type cookie. Um, so I make those instead of muffins because then I don't need to have a muffin tin. Um, so just kind of little things, you know, so by not having a muffin tin, I can have space for a tiny stovetop waffle maker and a waffle. Nobody has a waffle maker on a sailboat. You know, you just don't have the power or the space for that kind of, I mean, I'm sure there's a catamaran that has a waffle maker. So let, let's back up a little bit. You have a propane stove, Yep. three burner with oven, four burner, yep. four burner with, yep. oven. Um, with an oven. So how big of a pan can you put in the oven? Uh, in the oven? I mean, I use regular pans, not, not like a 9 by 13 cake pan, but I have like an 8 by 8 or a, you know, uh, smaller than that. 8 by 12, yeah. yeah. You can't get a 100-pound propane bomb out on the back deck. That's a lot, you know. <laughs> no, it's a lot of have, gas, among other things, let alone space. Yeah, yeah, we have two. Size and space challenge, yeah. Yeah, two, um, is it 20 pounds? It's just like the same size as a grill propane yeah, yeah, tank. Yeah. Yep. Um, two of those are in the cockpit with dedicated storage. Um, You're working them hard. Yeah, we go through one of those every three months, mm. and that's, that's with me using. That's, no, that's not bad. It's no. not bad, no. But that's I consider myself to use the stove and oven a lot more than most people do. Mm. So, so yeah. One of the tricks about cooking on boats, I like to point out, is you've got to keep things neat. You've got to clean as you yeah. go. Yep. You've got to maintain the space there, and if you're not tied to something, you've always got to be planning on movement. You know, yep. uh, things will slide around. And yep. And our our galley is kind of an open galley. It's it's off on the starboard side, but there's nothing really to stand against at any time. So I have to wear a belt. Can be tricky. Yeah. Um, yep. And yeah. I have a gimbling stove, so that helps. So it, you know, it tilts as we heel over because we have a very very tender boat so that that doesn't help but mm. there's a lot of like full you know there's a fold down um, cutting board and we have a fridge and freezer and which also can extend our um, shelf life on things so we have some little tricks that we can you know kind of make it, make it good so emily now uh, from talking to you earlier you've been living on twig for a few years now twig is on its way up the coast right now yeah. from uh cape may new jersey left cape may, may new jersey with... uh it was in annapolis all winter yeah. um and so yeah uh, kai is actually sailing the boat as we speak uh he can't listen to the show today terrible day off cape may today it is a terrible day yeah they're He's, having a yeah. bit of a nor'easter uh yeah. storm yeah. around new york coming We're, our way we're breaking the cardinal rule of having a schedule and sailing because um, we do have a schedule this week. But because? Because we're moving back on the boat. And uh, no, ashore. You, you, oh, yeah. You've we, come ashore, yeah, basically, yeah. is what, you know. We came ashore, yeah. Um, you've taken a house for a bit. We've taken a house for the winter. You're weak, Emily. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we, we took a house for the winter. Uh, did, we decided to slow down a little bit and reassess some things and make some money and get some real uh land life experience um we put our daughter in it's school it's not what it's cracked up to be it isn't it is certainly <laughs> not um i've i've been you know kind of fighting it all winter which is probably not the zen thing to do but 
but I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to be back on the boat and be um, a little more connected with nature and, and, and living small. You know, we have this huge house and it's, it's all, there's all this wasted space and wasted utilities and you don't really know how many, how much energy you're using until it, like the bill comes and then you have to pay for Surprise. it. <laughs> you have to pay for it. <laughs> so it's really nice to be on the boat. I mean, we have, you know, 840 watts of solar. We have, you know, a decent battery bank and and the propane. Between that, you know, we're we're completely self sufficient. Right. We don't have, you know, I mean, we pay for fuel, but, but it's that's amazing it. how solar's come, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. We have these uh, sun power solar panels, which are super efficient. And and in Maine here, especially in the in the summer, we get more output than even in the um, in the southern latitudes because. It's just such a long day up here. You know, the sun mm -hmm. rises at 4 a.m. and sets at 8.30 or something like that. Where are they deployed on a 43-foot sailboat? So we have them uh, on our arch on the back, on the stern arch. Yeah. Um, and then we have some, they kind of go above the bimini. And then, um, yeah, so just like the bimini is fixed, basically, because um, we have solar panels above it. So, so yep, yeah, so they, they kind of go over the arch um, and then, yeah. So, Mike, Michael, I'd like to bring you back in again. You're still with us, right, Michael? I am. I'm thinking about food. <laughs> make sure you're not running out to the refrigerator. Um, yeah. MREs. Yeah, <laughs> MREs. Yeah, you're probably past that. Um, <laughs> what's your feeling? Have you had any experiences with uh, propane on boats? Well, listen, listen to Emily talk. It, you know, the last 15 years I sailed on uh, army vessels, and we always had a cook or more than one cook. And, you know, they, the, the largest vessels, the 300-plus foot ones, we had a crew of 30 soldiers and three cooks. And I tell you, meals are the most important part of the day. And because we would run 24 hours a day, it was always breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then midrats, you know. Uh, and when we were preparing for missions, a million things you have to bring on board, like on any boat, whether it's small or large, from fuel and all the supplies. But the food, for as far as the captain, in this, I, I was always interrogating the, the head cook as to what food we were ordering because if you have good meals and lots of coffee and these hardworking soldiers show up to eat and there's, there's great stuff there, you know, you, you can do anything. But, boy, if, if you don't have the coffee pot's not full and you're having the same thing for lunch every single day, morale plummets and other things just don't get done because, you know, soldiers aren't happy. And I tell you, you can't overemphasize the importance of healthy, nutritious, and and plenty of food. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's important. It's like the key. And I think people disregard it sometimes or diminish its importance in um, keeping people happy and healthy and motivated. So uh, it's it's good. I can't can't think of a mission I didn't go on where food wasn't the top of the list. That's such a good point because it feels like when I'm when we're sailing, all I'm really doing is making food. Because as soon as breakfast is over, you know, then we need a snack, or then I need to clean up something, or then I need to prepare dinner or something. And when we go 24 hours, you know, and go offshore on on different passages. 
it's just a constant food thing whether we're seasick or not you know you, you like to keep the valves going in and, and eating the whole time so you don't have to get too hungry and then get, you get nauseous and everything but that's Super I think important. that's right. You have to keep a little bit in your stomach. Yeah. You're much, yep. much um, more comfortable. Yep. And we all suffer from high metabolism. So it's like, you know, there's a joke where there's a joke that Kai says, what's for breakfast? And it's it's usually said about 10 minutes after he's eaten breakfast. <laughs> and I said, I just made breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> and to point out again how above average uh, in the bunch you are, uh, I would assume you're cast iron Viking types, all of you, and impervious to any sea uh, and weather. But in fact, your family does suffer <laughs> nauseous challenges a we, little bit, and you live on a freaking boat. Yeah, we do. Um, we're yeah, we're pretty hardy people. I think being from Minnesota, like you, you kind of have to be. But uh, but yeah, I actually I can get seasick just thinking about it. Actually, I'm I'm the worst. Um, my daughter, our daughter is fine if she listens to music. She thinks that that cures her seasickness. So we actually just listen to music all the time, which is fine. You know, it's, it keeps her, or Good we listen excuse, to an yeah. audio book or something. Um, but, and, and Kai actually is fine if, if, he's, if we're sailing. As soon as we turn on the engine, he gets seasick because of the fumes, the diesel fumes. So that's actually... It's good that we have a sailboat because if he was seasick all the time, it wouldn't. It wouldn't and be. and I guess my point being, you still see that as home and a great adventure. Oh and, yeah, you know, it's totally worth the price yeah. of admission. Yeah, lovely, yeah. lovely. Yeah. Uh, you're above average. Uh, uh, I don't way. know about that. <laughs> I, I I think I'm just uh, I'm good at suffering. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, Do you find that there's food that would calm it? Yeah, like ginger. Yep, ginger does sometimes actually. For me, it's the biggest thing is just staying hydrated and sleeping. So if I don't sleep and kind of recover and reset myself, then I, that's when I get seasick. So on a passage, what usually happens is at the end of the day, I'll go to sleep for like four hours and then Kai and I will switch. And, and if I don't get that first four hours of sleep from like eight to midnight, I'm totally wrecked. But, it, but if I can just stay a little bit ahead of the sleep... Um, but actually, last summer, I found um, the best seasick food for myself, which it sounds totally weird, but there's a um, Pacific Foods makes a boxed soup um, called cashew carrot ginger soup. And it's just slightly spicy with the ginger in there. And that is, I mean, I can drink it cold. I can heat it up. It is the best thing. And, you know, it's not found everywhere but i will stock up on that and you can stack it really nicely that comes in those little uh, aseptic boxes yeah in the the tetra pack boxes yeah yeah so it lasts long cashew carrot ginger ginger yeah it's really good Mm -hmm. Um, that's something you could probably put in your freezer too right um yeah and i've made like my own batch of the cashew carrot ginger soup too you know i have have a freezer story from a delivery from a friend of mine who uh was packing a freezer with some food that he had been provisioned, including uh, he loved to drink a lot of milk. So he packed a bunch of box of milks into the bottom of the freezer. And when he came back a couple of days later to pull them out, they had frozen in place. They swell oh, up. No, they, yeah. you know, they expand yep. when they freeze, and they yep. lock themselves right into yep. the freezer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I had that problem. We um, we use our freezer mostly for ground beef because it comes in those nice one-pound square um, packages and so it stacks really nicely mm-hmm. in the freezer but it always you know it, one time I had lost one in there because it had kind of iced over and frosted over and I had to <laughs> chisel out the last pound of ground beef in there so yeah. but yeah I, I do a lot of um, preparing of the foods and provisioning and and just having you know really basic foods ready to go like cooked rice and and pasta and you know vegetables cooked and cut up and 
and that sort of thing. And then as we're on passage, I just, you, you know. You freeze cooked rice. Um, you can freeze cooked rice, yep, um, mostly in the fridge, though, for, like, pasta and stuff. But, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, like, cook vegetables, and then I'll wrap them in little p- things and, and put them in the freezer and things so like that. So they're ready to eat. They're more. ready to go, yeah. yeah, and then I can just throw them in soups. Or, now, on your website, do you tell people or can you inform people of what they should pack for a voyage? I have one article right now about, like, packing, uh, provisioning for the Bahamas because that seems to be a common place that people go to. Not up here. Not up here, no, no. But up here, there's a cute little town everywhere you go, and that's it has true. a cute little grocery store. And I mean, that's the event: is you mm-hmm. go to the next town and you see what their grocery store has. That's my event, actually. Okay. <laughs> but but in the Bahamas, it's fewer and far be- between. You know, there's a, the the classic story of, we waited for the mailboat once in Staniel Key, and it was, it, it was. A week had had been since it's been there, and we were, you know, now getting low on our fresh produce. We get there to the store, and we wait, literally wait, for the guy to carry the box from the mailboat up the street to the store. He gets to the store, he opens it up, and there's like three or four families sitting there waiting. And there's this little boy who's maybe two or three, and he's crying, and he just wants a banana, he says. He's like, I just miss bananas, he's saying. (laughs) And so we get there, and there's four bananas in the box, and that's the whole thing for the whole grocery store for the week is you get four bananas and so I grabbed the thing of bananas and I gave one you know one to him one to my daughter one to another thing and I came home with one banana <laughs> and, and I was like this is our one banana for the week you know we have we to savor this banana I think Ty ate it right away but, but yeah so it's so that's that's so I do talk about um you know like what to bring and what to prepare for mostly just like the foods that you like to eat you know because you don't know if they're going to be available everywhere but right. but up in Maine it's a it's a easier. it's a food free for all it's great up here yeah yeah now as far as your salmon lifestyle goes you've got salmon the bakery and twig marine these are uh yeah, so, ways to make a living at it too yeah well not really <laughs> but, <laughs> but we're trying um yeah we, we end up being our, our biggest customer at times but uh but yeah we sell marine products um spe- kind of specializing in electronics um, and, and different things like that. But yeah, twigmarine.com is, uh, is where you can kind of, we, we do more custom boat builds. So when, you know, people come to us and say, all right, we have this instrumentation that we want to implement or this, you know, connectivity that we want on our boat. Um, Kai is kind of the electronics genius. We will speak of chart plotters in a few minutes. Yeah. Yep. That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's give people a chance to call in one more time to help support, uh, boat talk and, WERU in general uh, by calling 1-800-643-6273 and uh, make a contribu- contribution during this show. It'll be matched up until the the end of the show. So now is your opportunity. You also go in, uh, your name will be put into a drawing for the book Madison's Music on, raising, on Reading the First Amendment by Bert Newborn. Now, Emily, you've got a website for Sail in the Bakery and Twig Marine? Yep, sailingthebakery.com and twigmarine.com. Man, good ones. You nailed them. <laughs> and, uh, um, are we uh, down in uh, the end of MDI now, down in Bernard area there? Are we baking every day and selling things? How do we you know, um, get one of them molasses cookies again? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't sell my like food products just, just yet, but, uh, but on Twig Marine we sell, you know, electronics and and boat parts to help you get your boat built and so that people can bake their own their own things um we're working on right now is a a lot of um our our big thing for the boat this year is we're going to try to get uh 
like a high output alternator on our boat so we can have an induction stove and actually reduce our um, our are using a propane. Oh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, so so if we can charge the batteries really quickly, it doesn't matter that the induction oven is draining it really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Too cool. Yeah. Well, we've been doing boat talk this morning, and let's remember we've got a community radio station. How lucky are we? This has landed in this neighborhood right here, and they let uh, us come in and talk about boats. Other people talk about pets, uh, you know, health issues. Uh, man, we got a, a lot of interest in public affairs call-in talk shows uh, here, and they're all podcast up to weru.org, as is years and years of Boat Talk, boattalk.org as well. And once again, uh, if you can think to support this, your contribution will be doubled. If you give us a call, 1-800-643-6273. Mention public affairs. I guess we uh, should say goodbye to Michael. Michael, I'm... I'm (laughs) We'll have to do this again sometime when we can talk about some more stories. But uh, Great shipwrecks. Uh, great shipwreck stories, yes. <laughs> Underwater stories. There, there's a bunch yeah. of them. Um, I, after you've written quite a few, I'm sure they're going to be put together in a book, and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, thank you, Michael, for uh, for coming on Boat Talk. And, oh, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting and, me. Nice yeah, and I assume that is there any other way of getting hold of your, your writing other than G, G Captain? Um, no, right now it's just through Sea Captain, and um, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's and they have a blog every day you can sign up for as well at G Captain. I've just seen, and uh, yeah, very good, good deal. Thank you, Michael, and thank you, Emily, for coming. Um, thank for you for the me. cookies and uh, smart girl, good looking too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored and, to be here. Yeah, talking thanks, to, thanks to Amy down in the engine room for keeping things going. This is Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce for Boat Talk. Uh, Thanks for supporting Community Radio. This coming Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m., WERU Community Radio will broadcast live from the